0: Well, really, uh, Brother Greg don't need a lot of introduction. He was a member of House of Prayer. He and his beautiful wife, Donna, pray for Donna's family. Her, uh, They took her dad to Asheville last night by ambulance. He is in stage four uh, congestive heart failure. Um, her mother's just got through a bout of, I guess, surgery for... Still, still recovering from... Mello- Multiple... Maloma. Multiple... Some kind of cancers. Maloma. maloma. So... Uh, and I know the plans are after service today. Greg and Donna are going to be going on out to Asheville, so um, Donna and her sister pray for and pray for the family. Keep them in prayer. But um, just talk about a brother that loves the Lord. Uh, Greg and Donna uh, part here. Uh, I remember when you renewed your vows on the 25th anniversary. That was awesome. Uh, founded uh, New Hope Baptist Church, uh, then pastor in Alabama. Uh, now has been for the last. I don't know how many years—14 years—in Batesburg, South Carolina, uh, pastor in Clyde uh, Chapel Church. There, wonderful church with some super people, and they've got a good, a good shepherd leading them. But he was here with the men's retreat. I couldn't think of a, a, a more appropriate person in the world to lead the men's retreat on the Greater Love uh, Men's Conference, and he did. So he's back home. But uh, let's let him know how glad we are to have him back home. Mr. Brother Greg Williams, come on, Greg. <clears throat> Yes, taller than our hair, yes.
1: <laughs> love it. I love you. Mm-hmm. I was uh, going to call out Brother Mike Robinson. He, uh, when I showed up, he said, that is not Greg Williams. He's too old and too gray. <clears throat> I said, well, I'm the older, grayer version. You know, that's just the way things happen. I, I am excited to be back home. Um, You young people, thank you so much for what you do for the Lord. You Luke? Yeah, I was Luke's pastor, and I had him totally deceived. He thought at one time I was Jesus. And... <laughs> <coughs> but I do follow after him. Amen. Uh, I long to be like my Savior. I long to know him intimately. And really, I'm sort of a good place in my life. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of things I could complain about I used to be stunningly handsome And the Lord has a way of humbling us, doesn't he? Um, but all I want is to know God And you know, ironically, the scriptures say Eternal life is knowing God And his son Jesus Christ, John 17, 3 And that word know means to be intimate with Not to just know about but to know intimately. Sort of like a a husband-wife relationship. And we shouldn't find that hard to believe because that's what the Bible says. God says, I was a husband to you, to the nation of Israel, and you were unfaithful to me. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Hosea where the prophet uh, endured unimaginable things so that he could deliver the heart and the message of God, a broken heart, and yet a heart that desired to reconcile with the unfaithful wife. And uh, it touches my heart deeply because that's true of each and every one of us individually. We were created by God, for God, for his purpose and for his glory. He designed us with a purpose in mind. And if we'll be honest about it, most of us, we didn't give any thought To that. And it's really sad, you know, as I get older and I realize these things and I look around at life and I look at young people and they're making all these important decisions, they're making them apart from the knowledge of God or the will of God. And I know that, irregardless of what they've set their sights on, they're going to end up empty, just like I did. You know, how does a man become a drug addict? How does a man become an alcoholic? How do these people get into these lifestyles that are so abhorrent that they're totally blind to God's love and God's truth? And you may think about homosexuality and all that and that is quite the rage this day in our culture and our society. But you know, people who are in love with the treasures of this world, money, they're just as lost and they're just as empty and they're gonna be just as disappointed And like I shared at the men's retreat, there was one time in my life, just once, I wished I could say it happened every day. I I could sense the presence and the glory and the approval of God. I thought, boy, it's good to be back home. Um, But one time in my life, I feel like I I felt the Shekinah glory that fell in the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple, and it was so glorious so wonderful, that it fulfilled me. I had no longings, no wants, no desires, and all I was was just in the presence of the Lord. And that's what inspires me each and every day to get up and go tell the story. Uh, When I was a younger man, I thought I would one day maybe be a great preacher. And uh, my ideas of being that great preacher... They're not going to happen. And that's good because God designed me to be a son. That's more important to him than me being a a great preacher. I don't think my shoulders could could carry that that mantle of greatness. I want to give you a word. Uh, It's called pluralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah, that's a big one took me a long time. Yes, one word. A Recent Barna survey, well, actually, this was about five years ago, came to the conclusion that that was the overall view of young people as they were exiting college and entering into the workforce. Say, what does that mean? Well, they believe that there's a God, which was amazing to me because they've been taught humanism all through school there is no God and we adopted this uh, high lofty moral platitude uh, that w- well we as a nation will be humanists let me tell you something humanism is the philosophy of atheism that's all it is atheism has no answers for where did I come from why am I here and what happens to me after I I die so humanism gave those answers but it's at its heart and at its core, it's atheistic, no God. So it was amazing to me that this generation would believe that there is a God, but they also believe that there were many gods or many interpretations of God. Thus pluralistic. You know, you have yours, I have mine. Doesn't make yours uh, superior or inferior to mine. And we know that that's a lie. It's an old lie, not a new lie. Well, of course, therapeutic, we know what that means. That means whoever God is, he's supposed to make me feel good about myself. That's that's why God's there. He's to help me just through the tough times in life. You know, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. And of course, deism is God. That is their belief of God. Now, where did that stinking thinking come from? Unfortunately, some of it has come from churches. Yeah. Churches that say they bear the name of Christ, Christian. But that's not true. It's another lie. They've been taught it in school, but the the worst thing is I think that they looked at the lives of people who said they were Christian and they couldn't see a discernible difference. Now, I want you to know the message I'm going to share with you is not words of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but in the spirit. And I have no right to try to condemn. And I have learned that no matter how hard, how loud I preach, I cannot convict. Only God can convict. And that's the way it should be. But what I have is a message that should spur us into action. Because Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And he was talking to his followers, believers, Christians, disciples. We use those terms and really we don't give much thought to what they mean. And I want to look at a couple of things and as... I stand here. I want you to know that what I'm going to share with you has been really, probably about five years of um, really shaking in my life. About five years ago, maybe it was. I, I can't remember. I can remember being there in my prayer closet and asking God, "Can I? Can I just stop this? Can I just get off this merry-go-round that they call the church? Not." I love everybody and there are lots of good people. but a lot of what we do is nothing but fluff. And I'm sick and tired of the fluff. I hate going to these meetings that produce nothing but contention. Mine, mine. Well, I think, I think. Who cares? How about what God thinks? And I I asked him, I said, Lord, you know I love you. And I know that I can't live a day without you. I don't want to live a day without you, but I know I can't even walk without you holding my hand. I know that. But could I quit being a right reverend? Could I do that? And I waited. And what God began to reveal to me is that he had a more excellent way. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the book of Colossians? The book of Colossians chapter 1. And I would invite you. Uh, as I love to do ever since I learned this uh, from some dear brothers in Africa to stand with me in the honor of the reading of the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. We do worship God as we stand in reverence and acknowledge his eternal word. Colossians chapter one, I'm gonna read verse nine, 10 and 11. Now understand this is not only the inspired Word of God, but is an instruction to God's people. And the Apostle Paul writes to the Church of Colossus. Everybody there say amen. Amen. Anybody not say, wait a minute. I hear no wait a minute. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Would you join me in prayer? You are a good, good father. And I realize, Father, that uh, more than likely, my eyes see a group of people gathered in the name of Jesus to worship you and to ascribe greatness to you and to give thanks to you on this day that we call the Lord's day. And so I ask you, dear God, that you would allow each and every one of our hearts to, to sense your presence, that we may lift up hands and praise you that our hearts may be filled with your grace to serve you, but I also pray, Father, that you would speak to us and help us, Lord, to see what you can so plainly see all the time in our lives, realizing, God, that if there's anything short in our life, you're not wanting to condemn us, you're wanting to fix us, and you are a good, good Father. So I ask you to hear and answer our prayers because I lift them up in my faith and my love In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I believe for God's church to be truly the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that he envisioned, there are four essential elements that must be a part of our lives. Because when we talk about the church, we're not talking about an organization of man, We're not talking about denominations created by men. We're not talking about buildings. We're talking about the bride of Christ. And we're talking about people. People who've been forgiven of their sins. People who have had a personal encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's the church. There will always be those counterfeits out there. But there's one thing that each and every church will have in common, and that is faith in God and His Word. Faith. What is faith? As a little boy, people would tell me to trust something, have faith in something, and you know some of those things were true and some were not true. So when people would talk to me about having faith, uh, it was like uh, make-believe and I want you to know a lot of times when we talk to people who are lost and we we say something as simple as just believe unto the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved they go you want me to make believe in your religion and you know what's sad is sometimes their lives are so hard and so difficult they're willing to try that that's why I emphasize the reality a Christian a true Christian has had a personal encounter with the risen Savior. They met him. That's my testimony. I, you know, we can discuss and argue and debate theology and points of theology. But the reality is, for me, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I met the King of Glory. And that my sins, which were heavy and oppressive and leading me to hell, were all lifted once I truly gave them over to him not a good deal. God didn't get anything good out of that. A good deal, both parties get something. All God got was heartaches, sorrow, a broken life. But he said, that's what I wanted because I love you. So I had to work out this deal called faith. What it literally means is like the old song says, trust and obey. Or another way to put it, Jesus said, why callest thou me Lord and do not do the things that I tell you? What are you talking about? It's real simple. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that he is in fact the creator of heaven and earth, if you believe that he has the power to raise the dead and he has the wisdom of eternity, then why wouldn't you do what he's saying? That's faith. When he says... I know what your eyes see. I know what your ears hear. I know what you're touching with your hands, but get out of the boat anyway, watch this. It's believing God and his word. So a a good church, a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the way, this is a refining process. When I say I believe, and in fact, God does bring me to that solid rock of believing in his word, you know what he does? He takes me a little farther out into the deep. And I always say, I hate this Lord, I hate this Lord, I hate this Lord. But he is relentless. And he makes sure that our faith is refined because a faith that is sure is a faith that will endure. And he's in charge of the process. So a Christian has faith in God and his word. The second thing is they... Demonstrate that by love for God and love for the brethren brother Jerry when he began the men's conference He stood up and he shared another one of my favorite passages of scripture One that I took to heart and I share with everybody Uh, By this shall all men know that they are my disciples. They have agape. They have love one for another See we all know the love of man and we all know it fails But the love of God never fails The love of God is unconditional. You know, it's mind-boggling to sinners to believe that a holy, perfect, just, almighty God would love them. Because we don't love ourselves. At least that was true in my life. But God's love transforms us. And the result of that is, you remember the old song, Give Me That? Old-time religion. Sing it with me. Give me that old-time religion. Give me that old-time religion. And it's good enough for me. Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. Makes me love everybody. And it's good enough for me. Did you know it, 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 it doesn't choose and picks? It just is. God's love is like that. It does make you love even your enemy. Now see, when that happened in my life, I just went around hugging everybody. Telling everybody, I love you, man. And it saddened my heart to find out there's some people, what do you want from me? Grabbing their wallet. <laughs> I thought you felt the same way about me. Not so. Not so. Not so, pastor. We know it. I often have people say, you know, we're looking for a pastor. What would you recommend? Boy, I have all these different thoughts, but I always come back to this one. Look him square in the eyes and ask him, do you love me? I said, Jesus said, the, eye, the window into the soul is the eye. I said, watch his eye. If he does this, I'll tell you something. But if he looks you square in the eye and said, yeah, I do know that that didn't originate in him, it originated in God, and that's a good start. Wow! Look for love. But you know, that's not just true for preachers. Amen. It's, true for preachers. it's true for all Christians. So we believe God, we, we trust what he, he tells us. The result of that is God's grace plants his love within our heart. And then the third thing is, we're always obedient to God because he is God. That is an amen. The reason why is because he and he alone is worthy. None of us are worthy. I use the term reverend on my name very sparingly. Only when it will open a door. I despise it otherwise because I tell everybody I am no better. I am no higher. In fact, I'm probably way down the list in God's great saints but I'm glad to be called brother. Amen. Where we all are the same. And when we stop and look at God, He is high and lifted up. He alone deserves our worship and our praise and our adoration and our faith. Too many so called followers have been disappointed and left the faith because they put their faith in a man or a woman. And the fourth thing I think is essential is to have a vision from God. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But happy is he who keeps the law. (laughs) I love the King James. I I use it all the time. I I remember when I went to Clyde's, they said, well, you know, preacher, we, we want our preachers only preaching from the King James. I said, I wished I could argue with you about it, but I've been using that ever since I became a Christian. Wheresoever the governor listeth. They look at me, I said, tell me what that means. It's over in the book of James. I had to look it up, study it for a long time before I figured out wheresoever the governor listeth. But sometimes the King James just gives us enough pause to stop and say, what in the world does that mean? And that's good for me. Without a vision, the people perish. That word vision means a prophetic utterance. I'll say that again. This is very important. The vision is a prophetic utterance. In other words, God speaks it. He speaks it from his will. Without that church... We wander aimlessly just looking for something to do. (laughs) I look around and I say, that's a a lot of what's going on. That's a lot of what I've been experiencing in my life. We just, we got to do something. It's Sunday, we got to do something. Try to keep them entertained. You know, give them a message, not too long, not too short. Watch your watch. I just said, Lord... God bless everybody wants to do that. I just don't want to do that because I see my people dying and going to hell and I care that I know you have placed that love in my heart. And I watch these people and I, you know, I I preach, I preach, I preach and there's no change. There's no difference. There's no conviction. There's no love. There's no adoration. There's no eh, seeking you with all of our heart. So undoubtedly, I must be doing a bad job, I quit. And he said, no, you've not done it my way. So I want to talk to you the rest of this time about the two areas that he told me, I, you know, you need to think about this and do things differently. And I'll tell you what they are. Discipleship and evangelism. I say discipleship, you heard Bible study. That is not what I said. That is not what God meant. Jesus called us to go and make disciples. We're just all too content to have somebody convert and come to our church and, and just be semi-regular. <laughs> uh, maybe they'll give a little money. Maybe we can find a job and keep them. You know, the, the... turn with me, if you will, to the book of Mark. Let me read something to you. Mark chapter 3. And this is a passage of scripture. I go, oh, I've never seen that. It's, that's what it says. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Everybody gets there, say, we're here. Anybody not say, wait a minute. I'm way good with wait a minute. Okay, so we're all there. Verse 13, Mark chapter 3. And he, this should be a capital H because it's talking about God. It's talking about our Lord. And he goeth up into a mountain. Watch this. And he calleth unto him, again, should be capital H, whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained 12. Stop, cover your Bible. Please cover your Bible. Don't read on. Now we know that Jesus went up into the mountain. We know that he had prayed. And then he sent word down, send me up, send me up. And he would ordain them. What did he ordain them to do? So if you'd read just a few more words, you would have found that it says he ordained that they should be with him. See, when we think about ordination, we, we think about somebody who's just set apart to the ministry. Right? We ordained these 12 so they'd go out and be great preachers. No, the result was that he took 12 men who failed in their lives and who desperately had to cling to him and turn the world upside down. Just 12. And we know that 11 denied him. The 12th. Betrayed him. But my belief is the Apostle Paul was the 12th man in the circle. And he too said he was the worst sinner he ever knew. So these were all just regular folks just like you and I. Fishermen. I I, I like that. Pastor, I like that. He chose some fishermen. Yeah. But they gave up their fishing. Because the Lord Jesus Christ would come and dwell inside their hearts. And empower their lives. But don't miss the point he ordained that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Now see I'd always read that and I, I just focused on woo, they got some power and we know about that power they laid their hands upon the sick and they recovered. They were those apostles laid their hands upon the dead and they got up Woo! now that's some Holy Ghost power but it all happened because they were with him. That's what discipleship is. I pastor in a congregational Methodist, which is a Southern Methodist. They're semi-autonomous. They own their own property. They call their own preacher. But you know, the the real irony of the Methodist church and being I'm a Methodist pastor, I can say this, okay? Okay. They forgot all about how they were successful. See, John Wesley knew this because he had experienced that that struggle of finding true faith, true faith, where he knew beyond a shadow of doubt, yes, I've been forgiven of my sins. Yes, the, the burdens are gone. I have nothing to give him except my broken life. And he took it, he took it, and he took all my shame and all my failures, and I'm forgiven. He knew that in a real personal way. And so the result is that i got to go tell somebody. But he knew that for him to be successful, he needed to do it God's way. So he began these groups called societies. Bands, if you will. They were small groups that came together. And what they did was disciple a disciple that would disciple a disciple that would disciple a disciple. And... The result was overwhelming. See, these groups, in fact, Wesley would never preach a place that he didn't have a society ready to receive. In fact, his altar call was not to come on down here. It was go yonder. There's some people already praying for you. They are walking in the spirit. They will love you unconditionally. And they're going to help you to grow by making that attachment, that personal real attachment to the king. And he, like myself, believed that no man came to Jesus except that God the Father would draw him. And so he he saw it as an imperative to, to engage those societies, pray, pray, pray that the Holy Spirit will touch the hearts and minds and lives of other individuals. This is all in essential of being a disciple. And then he would go out and preach. Wow, he was a great preacher. No, he served a great God who loves all man and is not willing that any should perish. See, when we we put somebody up on a pedestal like that, we miss the whole point. It is Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. It is Jesus Christ who has no respect for person that will make you and I successful in building his kingdom. And we already know that's his will. boy, when this hit me, I says, gosh, this is great. And so I went back and I told my church about it. I go, yeah, we'd do that. You do? I've been missing it. See, their idea was we have plenty of Bible studies. Now I don't want to see a show of hands, okay? I'm not, this is a question, but I don't want you to answer back to me. Because I want you to answer it honestly. How many are going to go to Sunday school? Well, you all know the song, right? Everybody ought to go to Sunday school, Sunday school, Sunday school. We learned that when we were children, right? You know why people don't go to Sunday school? (sighs) It's boring. I already know all this. You know, one of the things that amazed me about the societies, and I, I promise you, I'm not preaching Methodism. You kept me, I don't believe Methodist. I do not. But Wesley was on it and he wasn't the first one. Praise God, I hope he ain't the last. Is that every week those people would come together and they would meet together and they would ask this question. <laughs> this is mind-boggling. What sins have you committed since last we met? Can you believe that anybody would come back? <laughs> well, he just, he just asked me. Things way too personal. That ain't none of your business. Me and God, we got it all worked out. God didn't design it that way. And I want you to know: people came back because they believed that Christ was working in that individual and they longed for more of Christ within their heart. Because salvation is that way. All of you, Lord, I don't want just a little bit, a little bit of religion won't do me any good. That was true for me. I need all of you. And you were designed to receive the life of the Spirit. You, our our Father Adam, knew that till he died. And all of us were born dead until Christ comes and gives us life. That's what the Bible says. And so when we a lost person sees that, they'll recognize: hmm, something there. It's not in religion. It's not in being a Methodist or a Baptist or a Pentecostal or even non-denominational. It is celebrating the life of the risen Savior. Well, it's it's true. Think about it, brother. You know, in Jesus' day, the Bible says the church was full. It was full, constantly overflowing. People coming to him, and these weren't the religious crowd. Sinners were flocking to Jesus. And I tell you, if Jesus in his fullness is in the house of God, I'm telling you, sinners will still flock to Jesus. They will. That's what they're looking for. That's what they need. When they walk in the doors of the congregation of the brethren, they need to be encountered by the presence, the overwhelming presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never forget when my wife, which was a good person, she didn't do all the bad things I did, and I got saved before she did. That'll tell you something. But she went to church with me. And she just stood there and cried and cried and cried. I said, isn't this awesome? She goes, this is weird. This is so strange. I don't know what this is. But she was already hooked. Stop and think about it. Why did people come to Jesus? Because they had needs. Now this is where it really gets good. Jesus was out looking for them. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is found in John chapter 9. You're very familiar with this story. There was a man who was blind, born blind. Have you ever been to Israel, brother? Okay, I was going to say, send him back. It's a great place for your pastor to go visit. But when I was in Israel, there are still beggars. A, a, a lot. And that was, that was strange because we don't see a whole lot of them. We call them panhandlers and stuff, but here... But it was pretty commonplace. And and this man had lived his entire life of begging on on people's good graces. That'd be pretty humbling, wouldn't you you think? He had a mom and daddy. We know that. That's what it says. And they would take and set him out so he could get him a little money. And Jesus was walking by and he saw him and he stopped. Would you like to see? Oh, oh, what I like to see. Just fill in the blank. Our greatest, what we think our greatest need is. And Jesus already knows that and He wants to help you out. This man was blind, so Jesus said, Tell you what you do. You go down to the pool of Siloam. You get there, just wash, and we'll see what happens. (laughs) I love that. And when He did, His eyes were open. I tell you, that would make a Methodist shout. It would. I can see i can see i bet you he was dancing and praising god there was joy in his heart and everybody goes what's wrong well this the same guy no that can't be the same guy he's born blind he's always been blind this guy he can see so we need to investigate this you know the story he's brought before the sanhedrin the, the religious leaders of the day tell us what happened now the guy didn't have any theological understanding whatsoever none He didn't, and so he told him, you know, this guy named Jesus. That's what he said his name was. He come by, sent me down, washed my eyes. Oh, we know that that invalidates everything. I love that. How stupid can you be? This man has just been healed, miraculously healed, and they're always those naysayers. No, it couldn't work like that. And that's exactly what was going on. So they bring the parents. Is that your son? But they were afraid. To confess it because they didn't want to get kicked out of the church. Okay, bring bring that guy back in here. Tell us again what happened. He said, I already told you. He said, you want to be one of his disciples? Ooh, that made him mad. Made those folks mad, didn't it? They excommunicated him. and kicked him out. But before they did that, he said, all I know, I once was blind. But now I can see a real personal encounter with God gives you a real personal testimony. Amen. We must develop our relationship with God in such an intimate way that we can help others begin to understand what they need to do to develop a personal relationship with God. Now, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can't make disciples without the Holy Spirit working within our life. This is good news. He came for that reason, to empower your life for that purpose. If you try to make the Holy Spirit uh, subservient to you, Lord, just slay me right here in the Spirit. Can I tell you when I first got saved, that's what everybody's saying? Woo, look at him, knocked out down there. And I would sit there, I ain't getting none of that. (laughs) I guess it's because I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. That's why I don't get none of that. And I remember God rebuking me for that. It's gone. I don't see that. Quit bringing it up. It's not a part of your life. I paid for it on Calvary. Don't you bring it up anymore. And so I began to try to be the best redhead to stepchild I could be. Until he convinced that he loved me. He loved me. And then when he was dying on the cross, he was thinking of me. Just melted my heart. I've never got over it. I don't ever want to get over it all eternity. And when that's your motivation for going out and serving the Lord, I tell you, you may feel disappointed, but you'll never stop. You will never stop. Let me give you a passage of scripture. And I know I got to hurry. We start Sunday school at ten, so that means I got about seven minutes. Is that right? Okay, <laughs> Luke 24, verse 45. Don't turn there, let me read it to you. This is when Jesus encountered the disciples after he was risen. It says, then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And it's talking about the disciples. When the Holy Spirit comes within our life, that is the person of the, uh, of the Trinity. It is Jesus Christ, Christ in us, right? That begins to teach us the Bible. And and like I shared at the men's conference, that's exactly what God said he was going to do in the new covenant. So let me give you a couple other scriptures real quick. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. And then Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. These basically going to say the same thing. This is what God said he would do in the new covenant, the new testament salvation as you and I are supposed to enjoy it. A new heart also will I give to you. A new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, I'm going to say that again, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Thus saith the Lord. He knew what he's talking about, and that's what we should expect. So discipleship fleshed out is we study the word of God with God. That's the deal. We get to go to him. What do you mean by that? And you should expect an answer. Now, I do believe that God empowers individual by his grace to perform certain functions in the church. And that is the offices that God gave to the church. That is the gifts that he gave to the church for that purpose. Till we are all strengthened and we come to the fullness of Christ within our lives. Discipleship. Nobody told me about this. I thought about it. Lord, nobody did that in my life. The Lord said, yes, somebody did. I said, who? Nobody took time to sit down with Greg and flesh it out. Yeah, they did. His name was Oswald Chambers. <gasps> Lord, me and Oswald have been walking together about 30 years. Yeah, and that's when this light came on and I understood that anything that God does through you and I is eternal because he did it. Isn't that how we leave a legacy? I'm on borrowed time, so let me ask you to turn with me one more time to Matthew chapter 11. Now understand I really, 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 really practiced on saying, hi, my name is Greg Williams. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're to die today, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you'd go to be with Jesus in his heaven? My wife said, boy, you sound a lot like a salesman. I was so offended. I'm thinking, do you know how long it took me to really practice that in front of a mirror? She was right. But there's value, which, by the way, that's part of evangelism explosion. There's value in the four spiritual laws. There's great value in knowing the Romans Road. But see, that's what we look at as evangelism. I'll memorize some things. I'll go out and I'll just, i hit them right between the eyes, pastor. Boop! And maybe heh, they'll come to church and preach a preach good message they really get saved. That's the way a lot of people think. But I want to show you that's not the way Jesus did it. This is how Jesus taught us to witness. John, I mean, Matthew chapter 11, watch this. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John, which is John the Baptist, had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples, and he said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Good question, right? Jesus answered and said, Unto them, that's the two men who came and asked the question, are you the one or do we look for another? Jesus answers and says to them, go and show John again those things which you do, what's that say? Hear and see. see. What you hear. What you see. See, that becomes a real and personal testimony. I realized I can't give Jerry's testimony I can share his testimony but that's not my testimony my witness must be what I have received personally from the Lord Jesus Christ what I have heard him say what he has taught me personally and that becomes powerful because it's true I don't have to memorize it I don't have to practice it I just go forth saying Where do you want me to go, Lord? (laughs) I'm out of time, but let me tell you how this works. Right after he revealed this to me, I'm I'm actually at the hospital. By the way, pastors go to the hospital a lot, and it's not because we're always sick. But I was there, and and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do here? And I'm looking around. I got my radar on. Okay, I'm looking. And these two women come and sit right across from me. I said, okay, Lord, do you want me to... Speak to them. Let them initiate this conversation. Why are you here, they said. Well, I'm a pastor and I'm, uh, one of my church members is having surgery and I always like to wait just in case. Oh, you're a preacher, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they confessed to me that they were atheists. In fact, they confessed to me that they were living together and they were atheists. Tell me why you believe in God. And so I just told him about my testimony. I said, man, there was a time that I was mainlining crystal meth. And, I, you know, somebody started praying for me. And I fell under such conviction that I couldn't stand it. And I realized I was going to die and go to hell. And, and I didn't want to die and go to hell and I didn't know what to do. And so God began to show me what I need to do. And I told him about him taking me out to the fields, the woods. And I, I'd never been there before. And how did he, he led me right to the foot of a cross that I'd never seen that cross before. And when I was there, I knelt down and I said, Lord, I can't change. I don't know how to change, but I wished it was different. Just pass me on by. And he told me, love me. And it broke my heart. And you know what? They began to cry. Well, that's the time to really lay it on thick, right? That's when the Lord said, shut up. And they looked at me and said, would you pray for me? So right there in the operating waiting room, I knelt down and I said, Lord, let them find what I found. Let them find what I found. I don't want to give them all the theory and all the theology. Just Lord. Do for them what you did for me, and I know they'll be as happy as me. And one looked at the other and said, well, it's was your idea to sit here. (laughs) You look at yourself and you say, I can't. I tell you, God can. Discipleship. Each and every one of you need to be intricately involved in other people's life. The reason why you haven't, must be truthful, is because I ain't got time for all that. Can I say something without condemnation? Shame. Shame. Shame, shame, shame. We were bought with a price. He owns it all. We owe it all to him. Our lives. And the funny thing is, you'll find so much joy. I love the bulletin. Did anybody read the inside bulletin? Can I borrow just a second? Miss Dorothy, when she got saved, she said this. One, two, three, fourth, third paragraph. It grieves my heart to know so many are trying to make it on their own. They leave God out of their lives. There's very little truth in the world, but God's word is truth. Someone has said to help another person grow, you have to pay a price. Pastor, you know I'm sitting there thinking about what God wants me to Preach, and I'm saying, that's perfect. And you can tell your story. You can tell your story. And you don't have to sensationalize it. Just tell it. Would you pray with me? Father, forgive us that sometimes we hear somebody else's story and we think ours is so mundane and it's not much worth, oh, Lord, that you, the God of creation, took time in eternity to deal with us. is something to talk about. And if I'm going to crow, if I'm going to boast, let us boast in this, that you love us. Because I know, Lord, that there's a world out there that's looking for your love, and they don't realize it. Help us, Lord, to open our mouth and just simply say, I found it. I found it. And help us, dear God, to die to self that we're never too busy to help somebody else along the way. And I pray all this in the name and for the glory of Jesus, your son. Amen.